Hello and welcome to Kaplan's NCLEX PrepCast, brought to you by KaplanNursing.com, which offers prep courses for the NCLEX RN and NCLEX PN examinations. In today's podcast episode, what we're going to be talking about is a topic that whether you're a nursing student, a nurse, or just a human being relates to just about everybody, and that is stress. And more importantly, how exactly do you manage stress, especially when you're thrown into stressful situations? And we know as nursing students, you're presented with many stressful situations as you go through school, culminating with the NCLEX, and then it only continues after that uh, in your career as a nurse. And speaking of careers in nursing, we have a special guest with us who has about 35 years of experience in the nursing field, who some of you may recognize from a previous podcast episode. Her name is Susan Benish, and as I mentioned, she has been a nurse for 35 years, has been an educator for about 32 years, and has been with Kaplan as an NCLEX instructor for the last six years. So who better than Susan to guide us through stress management? And I want to say hello and welcome back to Susan. It's wonderful to be back, Matthew. Thanks for having me. Of course, we are glad to have you back as well. And as I said, you know, Susan, students who are listening probably have heard your voice before if they've been listening sequentially to this podcast, but I occasionally like to ask our repeat guests uh, extra questions here or there. So I'm curious to know, and I know this was a while back, but what was nursing school like for you? Well, I can almost remember back that far. There were dinosaurs. I'm just joking. um, Anyway, you know, so (laughs) we didn't have iPods. Everyone drove a stick shift. Um, But they... Um, you know, I worked my way through nursing school, and um, so I was, I was a newly married person. I was working in a hospital, um, spent about a year working on an ambulance um, in, out of the ER, um, and then transitioned into ICU. So I was actually working in ICU while I was doing my clinicals. So busy, busy time and loved working, loved my job. So, um, and I was uh, president of our senior class. So uh, won several awards for leadership. And uh, so it was, it was a busy time, but I loved it. That's wonderful. And where did you go to nursing school? I finished my undergrad at University of Central Oklahoma, used to be called Central State, and then transitioned over to University of Oklahoma Um, Health Science Center downtown Oklahoma and finished my first master's degree there. Very cool. Anyone else who's listening who's going to that school, uh, definitely let us know. Reach out on uh, on Facebook or Twitter and we'll we'll share some of that uh, central Oklahoma love with Susan. Uh, So Susan, as we go talking about this topic of stress, and as I was thinking about it, uh, or even earlier today, I was considering the fact that stress really is a biological response. And we think about it abstractly at times, but it really is a biological uh, part of being just a a human being or an animal for that matter. And I thought, especially for the nursing students listening, it might be a good review to even talk about stress from that level. But in the same light, I'm wondering, is stress, number one, is stress always a bad thing? And along the same lines, how does stress actually affect us physically and emotionally? 
Okay, so that's a lot of questions, and I'm going to address those. So let's let's go over those one by one. So you know, I um, do integrative medicine, endocrine um, system, hormones, cardiometabolic, um, and and certainly metabolic syndrome are um, big focus areas in my practice. I also work with people who are affected by PTSD, so post-traumatic stress syndrome disorder, and so short term. Um, you know, you have two things that happen. Um, short term, stress can give you that, that immediate impetus or that immediate jolt that you need to get something done over the near term. And so usually, you know, that's about a six hour um, time frame. So what happens with stress? We're looking at really what is what is the stress response? So it's part of the autonomic nervous system of which you have two components, sympathetic and parasympathetic, or otherwise known as the fight or flight and rest and digest. So every, every system in the body and every process in the body has a break and pedal, except the adrenal glands. So cortisol is the only hormone in the body that actually rises as we age because oxidative stress and just the stress of aging um, promotes um, that cortisol production. Every other hormone from thyroid to estrogen, testosterone, there are about 50 main hormones in the body. All of those fall. So we have nothing but a pedal on our adrenal glands. So what happens is in the near term, when we're at optimal health, we have an overstimulation of the nervous system. Adrenals produce cortisol. Adrenal uh, cortisol produces noradrenaline. This actually stimulates the heart. Um, this is another reason cortisol is highest in the morning. This is why you see people um, and you see all of the statistics that are, you know, death from stroke and uh, cardiac events are most prevalent in the early morning hours between about you know 5 a.m. and 8 a.m. because as we're getting up, cortisol is rising. Okay, same thing kind of happens when people are um, shocked by something in the near term, they can actually have a cardiac event just simply from the overstimulation of that nervous system. Optimally, it gives you some energy to get something done, lift the car off the person that ran over, rescue the baby out of the burning building, you know, run and do something, you know, so these extreme feats that you see um, people doing when they're under stress, that's what happens. So, um, you know, the noradrenaline you know, increases everything. It increases response time, it increases heart rate. That's our body's coping mechanism. But once we get to a, a system or, you know, a, a place where we're at under prolonged stress, um, what we can have is adrenal fatigue or adrenal insufficiency. Your body's just been dancing as long as it can for, for you know, for as fast as it can. Um, so these people then are susceptible to infections, immune disorders, all kinds of GI complaints. Um, another thing that happens is estrogen production is released. Um, estrogen causes weight gain and, and that adipose fat actually starts producing more estrogen, which promotes more, more weight gain. So people that have been under prolonged stress 
um, generally are not sleeping well because of the adrenaline. Um, they are then susceptible to weight gain, sometimes weight loss, but usually weight gain. Um, eating disorders, diabetes, chronic, um, chronic pain because of the inflammatory response. Um, most almost always um, testosterone reduction. So sexual and reproductive dysfunction ensues with this. Um, memory concentration, it's just all overstimulated. Um, so that's what we're looking at for prolonged stress. And, and uh, you know, even in the near term, you know, certain profound events can, can have um, a, an effect on PTSD. So, you know, is it good? Optimally, it is, but too much, like we always talk about everything, balance, um, too much of a good thing is, is not good. Well, I mean, that definitely makes a lot of sense, and there's a lot to know in there. And for any nursing student who's listening, uh, maybe you're taking notes on this because there's, of course, a lot, of, uh, a lot to remember about stress from a biological, biochemical level as well. Uh, it's good to know that, you know, in that short term, for the most part, it, it can be beneficial, but especially, as we all know, prolonged stress can be a detriment to our, to our physical health, our, our psychological health. And so we want to, as we kind of title this podcast, manage stress to the best of our ability. And so I think that pivots well to talking about nursing school, and especially a lot of students might be in nursing school who are listening. So what are some of the, I think we know a lot of the common triggers of stress, but what are some of those unique triggers of stress for nursing students? Okay, so nursing students, everybody knows, I mean, just think back for all the nursing students out there, think how many people were actually trying to get into nursing school. All the folks that you remember in those pre-nursing courses, you know, really only probably about 10 to 20% of the people who said they wanted to go to nursing school actually got admitted to the nursing program. So right off the bat, there's this air of uncertainty as you're going through your pre-nursing. And so once you get into nursing school, then there's this pressure to perform and pressure to succeed. So right off the bat, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a lot of pressure. Um, a couple other things that, that go along with that. For those people who have never worked in the healthcare field before, you immediately are um, basically assaulted by uh, people in all levels of distress, some of which may be very unfamiliar to folks. You're seeing people, you know, very ill, dying, um, you know, people, you know, with all kinds of physical complaints from vomiting to diarrhea to blood, you know, it's just, a, you know, open wounds, things of that nature. So, you know, that's just not something that, you know, the general population is typically exposed to. And here you go from maybe not having ever seen that before to being exposed to that and not only being exposed to it, but having to um, actually intervene um, to, uh, you know, affect optimal health with those people. So, you know, there's, there's sort of a shock value there for some people when they go to nursing school, they've just never been that up close and personal with people in, in physical distress. Um, at all levels. Um, then the other thing that's very unique to nursing students is that we're constantly being watched. Um, so you've got your nursing faculty obviously watching over you to make sure that you're um, taking care of your patients uh, properly, and, and they have to. I mean, that's, that's our job 
um, as nursing faculty members or as clinicians. Um, I have nurse practitioner students now coming through with me. I'm a nurse practitioner in, in private practice now. And, you know, so I'm watching over them and getting that gut check with them. You know, what are you doing? You know, how is this working? Um, so they have to be watched. So it's a lot of pressure, you know, that your basic math students, you know, doesn't have somebody over their shoulders, um, nor do they have the responsibility of, oh, gee, if I make a math error, somebody could die. So if we make a mistake, um, somebody could get very sick or die. So you have to be watched. Um, and just those two pressures of, gee, I'm being watched, and oh, gee, if I make a mistake, I could really harm somebody. So those are stressors that, that not, you know, the general population has certainly, um, and not many um, college students um, at an RN level have either. So those, those are pretty unique. Stakes are definitely a lot higher with nursing students than they are with a lot of other students out there and that the healthcare field in general is a stressful place to be. But right. it's, of course, at the same time, a, a rewarding one, which is why so many students choose to pursue that career and, and why we admire them as well. I think this, another aspect of nursing school that I know can be very stressful and I, I can almost already imagine, especially based on your answer to this last question, what the response will be. But what about clinicals? What makes clinicals so stressful, especially, you know, as a unique aspect of nursing school, but compared to anything else that the, as you mentioned, the general public may encounter as well? Right. So, well, in, in addition to the very long hours, um, typically there is a very narrow prep time um, frequently you will go one afternoon, meet your assigned patient, and then spend the entire evening and night um, researching the clinical aspects of that patient's, that assigned patient's disease process, and then develop a care plan. Then you have to present, you know, the following morning at 6 a.m., um, ready out of the gate. So a lot of long hours, narrow prep time, um, you know, just not a lot of sleep um, and simply not getting enough sleep. This is why sleep goes along with weight gain. Lack of sleep goes along with weight gain. If you've heard about that, the lack of sleep um, is stressful um, and that produces um, that stress produces more cortisol, more adrenaline and, you know, on we go. Um, so stress levels rise. So does cortisol and then we get sick, you know, we're around sick people in the hospitals. Um, so it can, it can left unchecked and unaddressed, um, that stress of clinical can really be, in addition to the other, you know, stressors we just mentioned, um, an additional stress just because of the lack of sleep and the near turnaround time. So with all the stress that nursing students are facing between school and clinicals and everything else. What are nursing schools doing to address this level of stress that their students face? So the American Nurses Association has really taken the long view on this. Um, this is a growing area of concern in healthcare in general is burnout um, of nurses, you know, that, you know, public institutions have, you know, helped fund that, you know, public college um, you know, tuition, you know, to a great extent, and 
society in general needs nurses. So when we either aren't meeting the demands of the general population for um, nurses, or we are not keeping the nurses that we have trained, it's a huge problem. So as a society, and certainly the American Nurses Association has really taken the lead on this, um, looking at this and saying, okay, what can we do to address burnout at any level? And certainly what can we do the earlier that we start giving nurses um, and even in nursing school coping strategies that are healthy, um, they're going to learn those strategies in nursing school and embed them um, as part of their habits when they focus on their career. So um, in the curriculum, the American Holistic Nurses Association has actually come up with a curriculum and will um, assist nurses, nursing students, and nursing schools to embed certain uh, self-care principles um, and stress management principles beginning really in a, in a lot of the freshman years or beginning nursing courses or even in pre-nursing courses. Um, so they, if you can look at them, they're at AmericanHolisticNursesAssociation.org, A-H-N-A.org. Lots of great uh, resources there for credentialing of nursing schools as they implement these programs in the nursing school. So if you want this in your nursing school, that is a great place um, to get started and give that to your faculty members. But if your faculty is resistant to that or, you know, not gonna, it's gonna take a while to get it implemented, there are strategies there that the nursing students uh, who are listening can actually make, make benefit of, great tools. And, um, you know, really embodying self-care um, in addition to um, care of our clients, treating ourselves like we treat our clients. It's interesting how, I know, especially with nursing students, they're taught to be very selfless that it almost exactly. encourages you to forget about yourself in some ways. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, you know, that's our legacy as nurses, um, Florence Nightingale, the nurses that were in the Civil War, you know, and, and that's where a lot of this came from in nursing is, you know, from those vulnerable populations, either in war or poverty or, you know, the elderly, um, children. So as, as a, as a profession, we, we are taught to put service before self. And so we're having to relook at that and say, okay, to a certain extent, that's true. We've got to achieve that balance because if we're not taking care of ourselves, we're of no benefit, of no use to anybody else. So if we take care of ourselves, you know, in balance with taking care of our patients and our families, our finances, achieving that balance in life um, is, is really where we're, we're at right now and not overextending ourselves so that we can be our best for our patients. Got to take care of yourself first if you want to take care of others. So mm -hmm. it's a good thing to follow. Right. So for anyone who's listening, what, Susan, would be sort of the the signs to look out for that maybe you are too stressed and what would be the the problem with not addressing that is probably the, the way I'd want to say that. Correct. Well, a few things, and, and there's been a lot of research out there in this area, like I mentioned, and one of the things that is embedded in these um, endorsed programs um, that, that have self-care as part of their curriculum 
is a self-awareness, self-assessment. So it's come out of this research, and so nurses, nursing students are, are asked to, you know, do a self-assessment. And one of the things that's come out is that, you know, the honesty at which, you know, the level of honesty at which nursing students will self-disclose some of their unhealthy strategies, um, among those overeating or overindulging in either smoking, alcohol, or, um, you know, drugs, either, you know, prescription drugs, you know, abusing those to a certain extent, or getting them off the street, or diversion, um, you know, in a totally illegal way. Uh, because, you know, we have access um, in our field to a lot of potent medications. And, uh, you know, what may seem like, a, ah, this is a quick fix, a quick relaxation, a quick pick-me-up, can quickly become um, a pretty bad addiction. And that is escalating. Um, the level of stress in our profession, um, based on the research, is, is a good bit higher than a number of other professions. And also the rate of drug abuse and alcohol abuse is a good bit higher. And that research has borne that out. So that's one of the things that's, that's come out is, you know, how forthright um, students are about saying, hey, I'm, I'm abusing cigarettes, alcohol, drugs. Um, and uh, that's an unhealthy coping mechanism. What are the healthy, quote unquote, coping mechanisms or tools to manage stress? Right. So some of the best things that people can do, and it's, it's a pretty quick, you know, list, but, um, you know, one of the things that we do know that reduces stress is, is exercise. Okay. Um, you know, just simply getting out there and burning off some of that adrenaline. So just simple things you can do in your kitchen or in your home, you know, actually, you know, squat. You know, do squats when you're picking up something low. Um, make a game out of preparing meals. Um, that's one of the things that we don't do well enough is, you know, do meal prep. Um, so we're eating fast food, which is by and large full of sugar and unhealthy fats. Um, so, you know, make a game out of preparing a meal. Just do kind of a once around the kitchen and say, what can I make with this? So do sort of a pattern interrupt and take a break from studying. Um, make that salad. Sometimes we think, oh, it's so labor intensive to do this, but it'll take a 15, 20 minutes and, um, and you come up with a much healthier and usually a much less expensive meal than eating out. Um, you know, exercise, you know, with, without electronics, um, take some time for mind, mindfulness. And uh, I can give you a couple of places for, you know, meditation in a minute. Um, take some deep breaths, um, put the phone down, put the turn the TV off, turn off um, the music, you know, look at the trees, listen to the wind, you know, smell the roses, as it were. Um, always keep a water bottle. So when you're talking on the phone, um, take a sip of water, you know, use that time to, to drink. Um, that is, nobody drinks enough water almost any, any time. Um, you know, eat your meals that you've prepared in silence or with other people. Try to stay off the phone and not just eat over the books. You know, really take that 30 minutes or 15 or 20 minutes, whatever you have, but, but, but use that time to, you know, self-reflect, de-stress, 
just do again a pattern inter interrupt and, and take frequent breaks. You know, um, our, our metabolism decreases by about 50 to 70% for every hour we sit. Um, and so if we're sitting for long periods of time, we're, you know, metab metabolic rate is gone down. So we're, we're not going to be at our best. So even getting up once an hour for five minutes, walking around, getting the heart rate back up, often stimulates an awful lot better memory of what you're looking at. Um, you know, on the road, you know, if you're driving to or some, from someplace, turn off the radio, you know, listen to the wind, just turn off the stimulation. It's really calming for the brain. Um, you know, when you're listening to the phone ring and the text messages go off, you know, turn your phone on silent, but, but give yourself a ring or two to say, okay, I'm not going to just jump on this. Um, could let it go to voicemail. Um, might be a phone, you know, think about whether that's a phone call you have to take right then. Just because somebody's calling you does not mean you have to answer. Um, but even if you have to answer it, look at the phone, prepare yourself, take a couple of deep breaths. Um, you know, rather than going through a drive-through, if you are going to get fast food, opt for some healthier choices, maybe some salads. Um, but don't go through the drive-through, actually park and walk in just simple things that you can do like that. And, um, and, and find a study group. Find a group of people that you relate to, even if it's just a Facebook group or a text thread or something of that nature. You know, keep it small, keep it, you know, within a trust group. But those are some strategies that, that, that are just simple things, don't cost any money, and it's, you know, getting some de-stressing things going on in your life, mostly about exercising, eating. Uh, you've definitely encouraged me to go out, go for a run, go for a walk, be mindful. And I have to say, I'm, I'm actually not very good at putting down an electronic device even when I'm exercising. I use that uh, to listen to music, but mm -hmm. I actually give it a shot and not uh, and, and leave all my electronic devices in a locker just at home uh, next time yeah. I go exercise. So I think it also, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this because I know there are students listening who are probably preparing for the NCLEX. I know that is a very unique situation, even unique within nursing school. So what are some of the strategies or tools that students who are preparing for the NCLEX can use to manage stress during that period of time? Well, the American Holistic Nurses Association, AHNA, has a number of tools um, and apps for managing stress. Um, they have the stop technique when things are getting into your head. Um, and these are just things you can look at, but basically it's like when I'm having those negative thoughts, how do I, how do I get that pattern interrupt? How do I jolt myself back out of it? They have uh, tools for diaphragmatic breathing because some people are just poor test takers or very anxious test takers. So there's some exercises there that when you feel yourself starting to get really spun up, you can slow down again and do that deep breathing. Um, progressive and deep muscle relaxation, um, autogenic training, um, which is deep relaxation with all of your, you know, hey, let's, let's get the blood flowing back again, but some, you know, how do we calm our body actually? Um, they've got a number of tools and apps there. Um, and, uh, you know, so I would encourage that ahna.org website. Um, but then the other thing is 
plan your time. So I teach in the NCLEX program with Kaplan, love it. Um, the um, sessions that we have in there are, um, we have several sessions in there that are actually focused on how to use the tools available to you that Kaplan provides and also other tools that you have available to you um, in, in your own life. Um, we always say that it is a marathon and not a sprint. Um, nobody can cram for the NCLEX. And uh, that's, that's one of the big stressors is that, you know, you've been learning content all along and now you're going to be tested on your critical thinking skills and how to think like a nurse, how to prioritize. So it's a different mindset and we go over that a lot um, in the NCLEX program. But, you know, planning your time and giving yourself plenty of time to, you know, do, you know, no more certainly than about 150 questions a day, remediating on every question, um, using the study guides that, that we provide um, through Kaplan to uh, make flashcards, um, understand that um, concept if you, if you don't know it, and then why it's an important priority um, using our decision tree and, and our nursing process. Um, you know, never be afraid to put off the NCLEX. Um, National Council of State Boards of Nursing has found that people are most successful first time out on the NCLEX um, within three months after graduation. If you're more than three months out, no sweat, just remediate. Um, and, uh, but you know, get in that habit of studying for NCLEX a little bit every day. So you work one day, you only do two hours, you know, because you've already worked an eight or 10 hour shift. Um, maybe on a day off, you've got, you know, six or eight hours that you can actually focus on study. But, but just like any athlete, you are training your body and your mind to focus on, for at least the RN exam, what could be a six hour exam. So think about just stopping and you know focusing on anything for six hours. So we give you the tools to um, you know progressively increase your um, your ability to actually sit and focus for that period of time by using um, question trainers that are increasingly long. Um, and the last one being 265 questions, all passing level, which is the hardest NCLEX you could get. And so if you can do that, um, you know, you're, you're in good shape. But it takes time to go through all those, those resources. It can take, you know, we say no less than three weeks and really no more than about 12 weeks. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, being good to yourself, but being very deliberate about planning your time and doing a little bit every day and staying, you know, staying in training, just like any elite athlete. They don't take time off. They may train a little harder some days, a little less others, but they train every day. Um, and, and they build self-care into that schedule. A lot of standardized tests are like that, but especially the NCLEX being very much like a marathon. And like you said, thinking with the mindset of that elite athlete and doing a little bit of prep every day uh, just to get yourself ready for the, uh, the quote-unquote big game or marathon being uh, the NCLEX, of course. And even earlier in this podcast, because I know we, we talked a lot about all those techniques for managing stress while you're even studying for the exam like this or really anything else. So 
uh, I'm sure the, uh, I know I've gotten a lot of this conversation. I'm sure the listeners at home have as well. So uh, I want to thank you again for coming on to our podcast and talking to us about stress management. And we'll, we'll definitely have to have you back on the show again sometime soon. Sounds good. Be glad to help. Terrific. Thank you so much, Susan. And for those of you who are listening at home, I want to encourage you to be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a rating and a comment in the iTunes store. And of course, reach out to us on social media as well. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Pinterest, a number of social media channels out there and let us know what you would like to hear in a future episode. We would of course love to see what we could bring to you, what topics you're interested in and find special guests who will be able to present that content to you. And as always, I want to thank you all so much for tuning in to our podcast and we look forward to seeing you again in a future cast. <laughs>